Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. It is Christmas Day, and no doubt you are enjoying time with loved ones, celebrating life, celebrating the gifts that have been given to you, enjoying delicious food and drink, and many other fun activities. And if you're like most people, you are taking time to reflect, to bend back time and examine what went well and what didn't go so well in 2017. Maybe you feel like you have some regrets, but don't let those regrets become anchors that hold you back from moving forward into 2018 with intention and effort and energy. And don't let that those anchors prevent you from doing the work and accomplishing your dreams. You see, dreams without doing, well, they simply just remain dreams and hopes. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want. But if you actually want to achieve something, if you actually want to realize your purpose and what you are called to do in life and get off the X, so to speak, you need to take action. It doesn't need to be huge action. It can be small, intentional action in the forward direction. And so without further delay, it is with my great pleasure that I share with you our number one episode for 2017. Now, this guest blasted into our lives last year, and 2017 was a phenomenal year for her, and it all began by counting down from 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. That's right. Our number one episode is from my conversation with the one and only Mel Robbins. If you missed it the first time, here it is again. This is your chance to re-listen, to take notes, and to begin to take small, intentional, immediate action in the direction of the dreams that you have set out before you and that you have been waiting to realize. Today is the day. This is the year. Let's get it done. Mel Robbins, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Very excited to have you on the show to talk about uh, the five second rule and your course that you're launching. And you are smack dab in the middle of a series that I'm doing on the power of belief. So, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Mike. I always kick things off by going back in time because I think it's important to understand where we've been because that informs where we are and where we are going. So, I'd love to learn a little bit about what it was like growing up in your family and specifically one particular moment. What did you learn when your mom stood up at the table and said she was going to start a business? Oh my God, you stalked me. Um, So I grew up in a family of small business owners. I'm a fourth generation small business owner. My parents both grew up with parents that had their own businesses. My mom comes from a big ag family. My dad's parents had a bakery. And so, you know, we were the kind of family growing up in the Midwest that we didn't eat dinner until dad got home. And so for the early years... When I was really little, my mom worked nights at the IRS while my dad went to medical school. And then when we moved to Michigan for my dad to start uh, as a legit doctor at a residency, my mom stayed home for just a couple of years. And then one day she stood up and said, I've decided I'm starting a business and things are going to change around here. (laughs) So, um, you know, I think that the women in my life, my great-grandmother, my grandmother, and my mother for sure, made it very clear that to be happy and successful as a woman, you need to make your own money. And I think that that is the secret to a happy marriage. 
I think it is a secret to self-esteem. I think having something that you're out in the world doing that's yours helps your confidence and your sense of identity and your ability to make an impact in ways that you just can't even imagine. Was that something that you believed always or something that you kind of learned the hard way? Yes. No, I, you know, I, I, I absolutely always believed make your own money. I mean, I, I certainly went to the dark side once I graduated from college because I really didn't know what I wanted to do and I didn't know what I was interested in. And so I went to law school because I figured, well, it's a, you know, a degree you can do a lot with. And I ended up just kind of following the herd and working in a law firm and I hated it. And, you know, for those of you that are still struggling, struggling to figure out what you want to do with your life, Sometimes it's not easy to figure out what you do want, but it is super easy to figure out what you hate. And I hated working in an office and I hated being told what to do. And so I think that, and I hated being spoken down to, and I hated the way that lawyers correct your work. And I just hated the ego BS that happens in law firms. And so there is just a lot about it that, that when I look back, I realize, wow, those were extraordinarily accurate signals and data points that ring true today. I don't like working in an office. I don't like sitting at a desk. I don't like being told what to do. I need to have control over what I'm working on, when I'm working on it, even partnering. Uh, we we have a lot of uh, very, very um, successful partnerships, but it took me a long time to figure out how to operate in partnerships with you know other media companies or influencers or whatever because the the need for me to control my own creative process and the timeline of things is deeply intrinsic in me and I think it is for a lot of entrepreneurs. Yeah, you know, I, it, it definitely is and it comes down to like the whole fulfillment thing I believe and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how the 5 second rule applies in that regard specifically. But in the grind, and I, and I also despise that word, the grind, as it relates to the entrepreneurial world, because it, it's the, uh, it harkens back to a machine crushing rocks and, and doing things and, and not necessarily adding to your life or health. But when you were uh, in the grind at that law firm, did you ever harken back to when you were a little kid and, and, and think about what you wanted to be when you, grew, when you would grow up kind of a thing? What did you want to do when you when you were a little kid? I thought I wanted to cure cancer. I thought I wanted to be a doctor like my dad. And I took one class at Dartmouth College in, uh, I think it was chemistry or biology, one of the med school recs. And I was like, nope, not for me. <laughs> so I think it was more about just admiring my dad and the difference he was making as a surgeon than, than really being passionate about it. And so it took me a while to realize what, what the things are that energize me. I, uh, I I think that your story and your husband's story is is incredibly powerful. And just a few years before you had your big aha moment, you and your husband, his name is Chris, right? Yep. Christopher Robbins, just like Winnie the Pooh's on <laughs> You guys were interviewed by the New York Times. And on the outside, it appeared you were crushing life. But inside, the behind closed doors, it, it, it was a different story. Life was kind of crushing you guys. And I, I loved this quote. It actually comes from your husband. When he was interviewed, he said, I can't deny I'm often overwhelmed by the challenge of raising kids, pursuing a profession, paying bills, keeping mind, body, and health in check, and having a passionate relationship with Mel. It's an adventure every day. 
first of all, I related 100% to that part of the article. And I think that everybody listening does, because I feel like we're sometimes in the rat race. And I, I love another video that you did where you, you went through this whole conveyor belt kind of of life scenario, update Facebook, put the kids to bed, you know, all this other thing. And, and it's just crazy chaos. But when you reflect back on that particular time, how would the five second rule have made things different if you had discovered it prior to 2009? Well, I wouldn't have had a drinking problem. I wouldn't have lost my job and I wouldn't have uh, been on the verge of divorce and bankruptcy. <laughs> because, you know, I, I, my husband and I found ourselves in a situation where uh, we had got, he had gotten into a business and it wasn't going very well. And we had put a ton of our money into it. And as things started to go off the rails financially, so did my attitude and my habits and my ability to cope and solve problems. And, you know, I think a lot of us, when life is going great, things are easy. But the second that you hit a setback, suddenly we revert to really horrible habits of distracting ourselves from our problems, blaming other people, feeling depressed. And these are habits. They're behaviors that you learn and repeat, and then they become kind of the automatic way that you deal with things. I, in, in response to a lot of financial stress, started arguing with Chris. I started drinking too much. I took a, a job that I knew I shouldn't be doing and then with Fox and then consequently the show that I was supposed to be taping with them got canceled and I was essentially fired. And I found myself in a situation at the age of 41 that I wasn't prepared for. I wasn't prepared for it emotionally. I wasn't prepared for it financially. I wasn't prepared for it spiritually. It was just a major crisis of confidence, of belonging, of career, of marriage, of everything. And you know, at the end of the day, Mike, there are things that you can face in life that are a hell of a lot worse than financial stress and marital stress. You could have a life-threatening health diagnosis. You could lose somebody that you love. You could lose absolutely everything and find yourself homeless. I was not facing those kind of problems, but when you face any problem that's, that's yours, it can feel so overwhelming that you don't know how to solve it. And that's what happened. So I reached for the bottle, I reached for arguments, I reached for excuses, and I became an incredibly stuck human being that could not get out of bed. So fast forward, now you have the five second rule. And, and you know, we all have these moments in life where we're, where we're you know, we, we might be hitting the ball out of the park, and then we do have a setback or a failure. And that really takes us down. I've been there, you've just shared that you've been there. And a lot of people listening have been there or are there. So how can we use the five second rule to get back, get past setbacks or disappointments? The first thing to understand is that your whole life happens in five second windows. That throughout your day, whether you're flying high or you're, you know, down in the, in the drain, like I was, you're making decisions all day long. And when you're not paying attention, you make decisions based in self-doubt. You make decisions based on procrastination. Your fears make decisions for you. Your excuses make decisions for you. Your feelings make decisions for you. And when you start to understand that within five seconds, you could either let self-doubt carry you down one path or in that same five-second window, you have the ability to beat the habit of self-doubt and actually step forward, 
Once you understand the power of these five-second decisions, you now have the secret to changing absolutely everything. And so, you know, what happened in my life is when I realized I'm setting the alarm clock an hour earlier so I can hit the snooze button four times before I have to get up, within five seconds of that alarm going off, I am filled with self-doubt. I am filled with overwhelm. I'm filled with dread. What if I move faster than self-doubt does? What if I figured out a way in that same five-second window when, when I would lie there in bed and just suddenly be flooded with self-defeating feelings? What if I moved? What if I, what if I went five, four, three, two, one, and I got up? And what if when I walked in the kitchen and I saw my husband and I suddenly was filled with frustration and anger and blame and hatred? What if in that same five-second window, instead of snapping at him out of those horrible feelings, what if I actually got control of myself and I 54321 spoke to him in a way that was aligned with my values and what I actually wanted, which was to get out of this mess? And what if when I saw the phone and I knew I needed to make a cold call to continue networking so I could get a freaking job, and in five seconds flat, I started to feel incredibly uh, insecure what if I went five, four, three, two, one and pushed myself in that same five second window to make the call? And what happened is using this trick and the way the five second rule works is the moment that you're facing a decision and you start to doubt yourself, go five, four, three, two, one. Just you got to count backwards. You got to do it in your head. Don't do it out loud because it scares people. Don't count up because you can keep going. Like if you start counting up, you can still think and consider what you're going to do. When you count backwards, five, four, three, two, one, what you're actually doing is you've just discovered the world's greatest cheat code for your brain. You've just switched mental gears. It allows you to switch off the interior region of the brain where habits are encoded and self-doubt lives and it awakens your prefrontal cortex, the simple act of counting backwards. And so what happened for me is, you know, honestly, Mike, when I first started this whole technique of counting backwards and, you know, it was inspired by seeing a rocket launch and thinking, wow, maybe that's the answer. Instead of laying there like a dumbass and letting self-doubt just take over in five seconds, what if I launched myself forward like a rocket in those same five seconds and beat it? Could I beat it? And the answer is yes, you can. And so the counting is essential because it gives you the added benefit of switching mental gears. So by the time you hit one, your prefrontal cortex is, is now focused and paying attention. And when you hit one, it's a prompt to do something. And when you start counting, it's an action. So by counting, you are already making a different decision. You've decided you're not going to listen to self-doubt. And by counting, you're moving in a direction that's opposite of self-doubt. You're not shrinking, you're expanding. And so the, the, the act itself of counting, as dumb as it sounds is extraordinarily powerful. And so for me, I just, when I started to see this thing working in small ways, at first it was a little startling. I thought, my God, am I a witch? And then I thought it was really hokey because it's kind of dumb. And then I realized like, this is a way to self-monitor unlike anything I've ever discovered in my life. And so I started to use it for everything. Every single day when I was in a situation where I could feel myself hesitate, I'd go five, four, three, two, one, and I'd move. And something interesting happened. Everything in my life changed because I was changing. I was changing my decisions five seconds at a time. And I was becoming the kind of person that I knew I wanted to be instead of being 
a person who has succumbed by self-doubt and excuses. And when you start to create that level of change in your life and you see the momentum of it, you become unstoppable. And so, you know, nine years later, I've gone, my husband and I have gone from, you know, facing bankruptcy and divorce to celebrating 21 years in marriage, launching two multi-million dollar companies together. You know, I'm in incredible shape. I'm, an, I'm we're both killer negotiators because we just don't let our emotions get involved. And life's amazing. And it's amazing because we understand the secret to making five-second decisions that are aligned with goals and values instead of being a victim of your excuses and your feelings. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. It's so powerful and it is the small little things, the, the intentions, setting your intentions rather than necessarily focusing on setting a goal and developing those daily habits that ultimately make change and success over time. We've seen it, whether it's in your story or whether it's NASA being created and ultimately landing on the moon, it's, it's one step that leads to one giant leap and we end up seeing that giant leap. and so. So those of us who are who are bystanders are often end up in this comparison conundrum. And one of the questions that one of one of the fans of my show asked uh, me to ask you, he is his name is Brett Rabo. He is a coach. He coaches Olympic athletes, Paralympic athletes, and, and executives. Uh, he lives in Australia, and he has also has a great podcast called Your Life of Impact. But he actually uses the five second rule uh, with his athletes and clients but occasionally encounters resistance to it. So he wanted to know, how do you coach people through the resistance that some people create to the five-second rule? What do you mean? What kind of resistance? I, I think maybe it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing habit or a doubt that the five-second rule will really work. Well, you know, the doubt, in terms of the doubt that it'll work, you know, if you've got somebody that is suspicious or that is suspect that something so simple won't work, what you're probably dealing with is somebody that loves to be right and has a million excuses for everything. And so making an excuse for the fact that the five second rule doesn't work is just yet another example of a pattern of behavior that's got this person stuck. And so I would, there's two things. One is I have never, ever, ever, ever in nine years of using this having a TED talk that's been seen more than 11 million times and being one of the most booked motivational speakers in the world. I have never once had somebody write and say it didn't work for me. What I have had people say is, I know I should use it and I haven't. And so if you've got somebody that's resistant to using it, either they don't want to change or they are still so stuck in their excuses that they're fighting trying something new. I love that. I think that it is straight advice that Brett can use with his athletes and, and we can all use when we question whether 
it works. I mean, I, I use it in my daily workouts. I do CrossFit and those CrossFit workouts are sometimes grueling. And uh, if I were to count from one to whatever, I would stand there and never pick up the weight again. But counting down from five, actually, I'm not going to go to zero and then negative one and then negative two just doesn't work. Of course not. It's a prompt. Like, and and then, then also your mind is now focused on doing the thing that you're looking at. And so it's just a, there. there's so much science. And, you know, again, having used it, having seen a quarter of a million testimonials from 90 countries, I don't even bat an eye on whether or not it works. Like, you know, you, you got some per, some person who's too lazy to use it. Well, then that's their problem. I know of 17 people who haven't committed suicide. I know of people that have ended 23 year addictions to cigarettes or booze or porn or whatever it is using this. We know of people in CBT therapy and post-traumatic stress disorder therapies that are using it with transformative results with their clients. I've cured myself of a 20 year battle with anxiety. If you're too stubborn to try something this simple that's backed by science and working for millions of people, stay stuck. (laughs) But that's the kind of coach I am. Like literally there are tools that work. You are either somebody that wants to change or you're somebody that wants to bitch about it. End of story. Yeah. And I think that there are people in in the world that um, don't believe in simple. They believe in complex and, and therefore they stay stuck. And, and, you know, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And this is a, an incredibly simple tool and it's backed by science and, and results. And I personally believe that we are all created for greatness and that that is something that a lot of people don't believe. And I believe personally that one's ability to believe that in what their capacity is and what they're capable of achieving is the one thing preventing them from realizing their goals, from living a fulfilled life, from, from taking action. I, I, you know what I disagree? What? I don't think it has anything to do with mindset. I think it has everything to do with action. And I think there's a huge mistake that people make thinking that they got to believe. No, you don't. You got to do the work. And when you start to do the work, instead of waiting around to feel motivated or believe in yourself, which you may never, when you start to actually do the simple steps that the experts advise, whether it's having a morning routine, not sleeping with your phone, setting uh, the one thing you're going to do today so you leverage the progress principle, moving and using the five-second rule before self-doubt gets in. Actually take action before you worry about your mindset. Everything falls into place. Everything. Your mindset will follow. And for, like, I think everybody is capable of greatness. I think that there are some people that it comes more easily to because you were just naturally preset with a positive mindset or you're surrounded by people that are cheering for you and coaching you. But everybody's got it in them. And the second that you understand that it is about action first, that's the secret. Okay, so what propels someone to action? Desire? Um, decision. I guess the question is, what motivates someone to make a decision? I guess I'm, I'm trying to get to the, the pain point, the, whatever the, the goal is. I think it can be pain. It can be inspiration. It can come from a number of places. I mean, what, what motivated me to get out of the law practice was misery. Mm-hmm. What motivates me to stay fit is the fact that I want my husband to stay fit. So it's part of the bargain. People's motivations come from very different places. And like nothing happens upstairs. It all starts the second that you make a decision. And a decision is not made in your head. It's made when you move. I can sit here and say, oh, I've decided to be in shape. But unless I get my ass to the gym and I actually eat healthy, I haven't made a decision. I've had a thought. 
So how do you unwind, you know, this, this, all of this mindset, motivation stuff that's been talked about. And then I talk about, frankly, how do you unwind that? Uh, and, and maybe balance that out with the, the action, make the action precede the, the motivation. See, I think motivation is wonderful when you have it, but for most people, you, they don't feel motivated for somebody that's 300 pounds. They don't feel that motivated and excited to go to the gym. They feel ashamed. They feel frustrated. They feel like it's going to be too much to bear. And so I coach people very differently because I think getting hung up in how you feel in the moment, that is where most people get stalled. They stop and listen to the shame. They stop and say, well, I don't feel motivated today, so I'm not going. I'll wait until I feel a little bit more excited to do this. And I'm trying to get people to wake up and realize that when it comes to the hard stuff, you may never feel like it. And that's okay. Feeling unmotivated is normal. Letting it stop you is a choice. Feeling overwhelmed, normal. Letting it stop you is a choice. And so for people that have a positive mindset, that's wonderful. Awesome. I would love it if humanity would wake up and feel motivated to go to the gym and feel motivated to work on themselves. But most people are struggling with depression or overwhelm or problems at home or low self-esteem and sitting around and waiting for that to shift and trying to think positive when all you see is evidence around you that it's not and people that trigger you to think in a way that's really negative. That is hugely, that, that is a huge problem for people. And so understanding that you have a choice over your behavior always, regardless of how you feel, that the second that you move, that your physiology changes and your mind falls in line with what you're doing, that understanding that it really begins with action for most of us, that is a major liberating shift for people. You can literally be overwhelmed by alcoholism and you can choose not to drink. You can be surrounded by triggers at work that make you feel insecure or like a loser, and you can still operate at work in a way that, exhi- that, that exhibits confidence, that you can be terrified of cold calling, and you can still make them. And so I think, it's, I think it is detrimental to most people, and this is why I went on this rant with Tom Bilyeu about the reason why I think motivation is garbage. And I, you know, and I get that it's a joke because... You know, I'm called a motivational speaker, but what I talk about is the fact that motivation for most people doesn't exist at the moment of change. What exists for everybody is a moment of action. And, and that word, you know, uh, motivation literally means to move. So, I mean, I don't think it's, you know, it's, it's, a, misun- it's a misunderstood, misused word because it, it requires us to take action. And, and you are empowering a lot of millions of people to take action. You are launching a course called The Power of You. I'm not sure if it's still open, but I'd love to talk about that 300-pound person who is who is feeling ashamed of going to the gym and how you would draw out their greatness and use the coach them to use the five-second rule to begin to take action regardless of whether they feel like doing it. Well, I think that the 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 number one thing for people to understand is that all the stuff that you're feeling, as defeating as it is, it's perfectly normal. And that lots of people feel that way. And that you can separate the feelings that you have about what you need to do from the actions that you need to take to do it. And for a lot of people, 
especially somebody that is very heavy and that has not been in good shape, just getting them to understand and embrace the fact that you're not going to feel like it, but you got to do it anyway. Then you can coach them to use tools like the five second rule, whether it's the second that you start to feel like you're not going to go five, four, three, two, one. And now let's insert an anchor thought. That anchor thought is going to help you rewire the way that you think in your default settings. There's other things that you can do with the science of habits. I've changed the way that I feel about exercise by understanding the science of habits. And so another thing that I would do with a person like that is I would teach them about the science of habits and how behavior gets encoded as chunks. I would teach them about their habit loops. We would take a look at all the triggers that trigger them not to exercise or trigger them to feel shame. And then we would start to insert new behaviors for all of those triggers. The other thing that I would do with somebody like that is you can set up a simple habit loop like laying out your clothes at night and coming up with um, a routine the next day so that you see the clothes lying on the floor. It becomes a trigger. The trigger is to go to the gym. The key is you have to have an incredible reward tied to the post-exercise routine. Now, my reward, as crazy as it sounds, is a iced latte because it's delicious (laughs) and I love it. And what happens with the science of habits is if you, five, four, three, two, one, lay your clothes down the night before, even though you don't feel like it. And the next morning you wake up and the first thing you're feeling is, I don't want to go to the gym. And you walk into the closet and there are those damn clothes. It triggers you to be reminded that you need to do it. So you five, four, three, two, one, pull on the clothes, even though you don't feel like going. And as you walk past the, the kitchen and you, you see the croissant, you five, four, three, two, one, and you keep walking past it. And as you see that it's raining outside, now you really don't want to go. You go five, four, three, two, one, and you keep going and you get to the gym and then you go and you do your thing at the gym for 20 minutes, or you turn on your tape and you watch somebody online and you do it for 20 minutes. Then you need a reward. And the reason why you need a reward is because your brain learns things in chunks. It remembers the beginning and the end, but not the middle. And so what'll happen and what's happened for me in my case is four or five days of using the same habit loop of the clothes on the floor, using the five second rule to get myself to the gym, even though I don't feel like it, rewarding myself with a nice latte at the end. What's happened now is pretty interesting. My mind has learned that chunk of behavior. And so now when I walk into my closet and I see the clothes on the floor, I don't think about exercise. You know what my mind thinks about? That latte. Yeah. The ice latte. That's right. Because your mind learns things in a chunk and it forgets about the exercise piece. And so will you still have to push yourself? You better believe you will. There are other things you can do. You can, you know, if you're the kind of person like me that needs somebody screaming at you in order to break a sweat, you can force yourself to go to classes. You can force yourself to walk with somebody like kind of understanding the triggers, understanding the the, the things that you do, you build these if-then plans, which up your percentage of doing and completing uh, the project by like 70%. You use the habit of, you use the, the science of habits and you use the five-second rule as the way to get yourself to launch five seconds at a time through the self-doubt and all the other stuff that derails you. That's how you do it. And you don't expect to like it. And then something funny happens. You actually might. Yeah, you know, and the other thing that you, you bring to mind is the difference between setting an intention versus goal setting. What, what's your take on, on goal setting and, and how people can use the five-second rule to enhance their planning, basically? Well, so a couple things. I think goals are really important, but most of us have goals that are way too big. I believe in curiosity. 
and generally kind of putting out there things that you want to do without an attachment that you'll actually get them done. I, I, I feel that the secret to life is getting people started and then nudging them along. And once they're moving, they will discover things that they never could have predicted when they set the goal. And what happens for most people is you have a goal that you want to write a book. And so you get started writing, but then you realize as you're writing, actually, it's not a book about my grandmother's life. It's a cookbook. But then because it's not the same goal, then suddenly you stop. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important to understand that goalposts are simply a beacon in, in, in the distance that gets you moving. And once you start pushing yourself forward and moving toward it, be prepared to learn things and be curious and see how it evolves. And so I do a planning method that's based on research out of the Harvard Business School and that takes advantage of the progress principle. And so I have things that I'm interested in pursuing this year. And then every day I do small things to just move the ball forward. And that creates a much better process for me because I keep inching things along and it allows the the for me to learn things and have things evolve and grow. Now, the other thing about goal setting that a lot of people don't understand, and this is your question about goal setting, which to me is a beacon in the future versus intentions. So intentions to me, is it the Zeitgeist effect? I think that's what it's called. Your mind hates open questions because open questions create certainty. Your mind loves to create to-do lists because it likes to check things off. And so one of the interesting things about your mind is that when you set an intention for the day, you've basically opened up a checklist in your mind, and now your brain is going to nudge you whenever you're near that intention. So for example, let me give you an example. If you tell people, if you get people to set the intention that they are going to exercise today, if you walk into a living room, nothing happens on your brain. If you've set the intention that you're going to exercise and you walk past a gym, even one that you don't belong to, your prefrontal cortex awakens. Your mind is designed to remind you of the things that you said that you wanted. And that's why you feel guilty. That's, that's your brain's way of nudging you toward the thing that you said you were going to do. That's why you feel guilty when you break a promise because you said you wouldn't do it. And so your mind has this mechanism in place where it remembers what you said you would do and it makes you feel bad or it sort of lights up and makes you pay attention to the things around you that could help you. They've done so many studies on this. Like for example, they'll have somebody talk about the fact that they're thirsty. And if they're in a, if they walk into a room and there's nothing in the room that relates to water, nothing happens in their brain. But if they walk past a fire hydrant in a functional MRI, the brain lights up. Because you're near something that can help you check that box in your mind. It's really fascinating when you understand that stuff because you can kind of hack yourself. That is fascinating. And the progress principle and the, the, the outline you just gave about the power of intentions is, is incredible. And I think will be very valuable to listeners as a takeaway. And I know you're short on time, so I want to just I want to begin to close things out. But I want to make sure people know where to connect with you, where they can go to uh, learn more about the power of you and the other things that you're doing. So why don't you take a moment to... Sure. So the best thing to do, and I appreciate that, Mike, is just go to melrobbins.com. We have a newsletter that a quarter of a million people open every single week. 
99% of the stuff that I do is free. We do a ton of videos. We do a ton of live stuff on Facebook. We're constantly posting. I do a ton of corporate speeches. The only thing that I do in terms of courses is twice a year, we run a course called The Power of You. I think by the time this airs, enrollment will actually be over. Okay. But And we do it as a group. So you do this course on the science of clarity, courage, and confidence. We will not do another course again until the spring of 2018. It's a super cool program because it's live coaching for 60 days with yours truly with a global community that is all going through the same curriculum in a closed Facebook group. It's a really neat, powerful program. We do it twice a year. If you're interested, go to melrobbins.com slash power of you. And I'm sure we will, there's a, once the course registration's down for this one, we'll have a countdown for when the next program launches. But seriously, just go to melrobbins.com, sign up for the newsletter. It's free. It's a great way to, to get content once a week. And uh, to get connected into our social media channels, we're reaching 20 million people a month with our content and our platform. And we would love to have you if you want more science-backed advice from somebody that's here to cheer you on. And I don't really view myself as an expert, Mike. I view myself as somebody that has made a lot of mistakes. I still make a lot of mistakes. And I'm figuring things out and I'm sharing things in real time because if I can save you headache and heartache, boy, does that make me happy. One of the things I love about you and your husband is that you have a rule, which is to tell the truth regardless of the consequences. And I love that. I love this conversation. I have so many more questions, but we we don't have the time for them today. I have just one final question and then we will uh, let you go to uh, have the impact that you're having in the world. And that final question is, how will Mel Robbins measure her life? By the people that are standing around me when I'm dying. Hmm. What would you hope they would say? It's been a great ride. I'll see you on the other side. Like I, I, I literally, I, I, it's taken me 49 years to figure out what to do with my life. And I'm actually doing it. And if I can continue doing this and serving other people and discovering new ways to make my own life better and my own mental game better. And by mental game, I don't mean grit and hustle and all that. I mean that I'm not torturing myself, that I'm actually a positive person that's optimistic, that makes a difference in the world, no matter how small of a world it may be. That to me is what matters, that I was a good person. Mel Robbins, thank you for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. And folks, do not wait 49 years to have the impact to do what you want to do. <laughs> Act right now and go buy Five Second Rule. It will have a tremendously positive impact. And again, Mel, thank you so much. We look forward to continuing to collaborate with you and help spread the Five Second Message. Awesome. How do you answer that question? How do I answer that question? Uh, how will I measure my life? Yeah, in a similar fashion, I measure my life by the impact that my my kids will go on to have. I have four children. And, um, I'm very focused on instilling confidence and courage in them as well as a curious, uh, curious mind, you know, they're capable of doing incredible things, but they're not going to be able to do it unless they take action starting now. So I'm teaching them to take action on things that they're afraid of. That's awesome. And, uh, and so if I do that and they go out and have a viral impact in the communities that they'll be a part of in the future, then Hooray. That's awesome. Really awesome. I'm so sorry we were tight on time. If uh, if, you're, if your crowd likes what we're talking about, we can certainly do this again. 
And thank you for your patience with the up and down of my schedule. It's been nuts with this course launch and the number of speeches and time on the road. And so I just appreciate your interest in having the conversation. And I appreciate your patience and flexibility as we were managing my crazy nutso schedule. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you taking time out of this busy schedule to to be on the show. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact. Mm-hmm.